Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Big thanks to our sponsor, 16 Degrees Coaching. Do you feel stuck in your current job? Do you wish you had a career you loved? James, from 16 Degrees Coaching, specialises in working with people like you. He'll help you find clarity in what you want to do next, even when you have no idea yourself, and confidence to move forwards. To see the success James has had in helping others with their careers, and to find out what he can do for you, Visit his website, 16degreescoaching.co.uk, to book a free consultation or follow the link on ours. Welcome to The Backstory with me, Susie Coulson, and my podcasting partner, Claire Mutimer. Today's backstory is part two of Ali Gold's A Life Less Ordinary. And if you haven't heard part one yet, then please do listen to that one first. Spoiler alert coming up with this quick recap. So last week we heard about how Ali's daughter, who we are not naming, had lived most of her life with her dad and Ali's other son, Ben, her brother. Around the age of 13 or 14, she decided to move in with her mum, Ali, and her mum's second husband and their young son, her half-brother, Connor, who was around three at the time. A few years later, when her daughter was 17, Ali had begun to realise that something was going on with her husband, and it slowly transpired that her husband was having an affair with her daughter. The husband and daughter moved out together, and a year or two later, Ali moved down to the southwest with her youngest son, Connor, leaving the older son Ben behind living with friends. Heads up, this programme does contain some potentially upsetting content, including abuse. We meet the story after Ali has moved in with a guy who has turned out to be violent. She explains why she hadn't realised earlier. This was from years of being told things about yourself and you you really expect that that's how people behave. So when people don't say nice things about you and aren't positive and aren't complimentary, you expect that that's how people are. So um, obviously to anyone who is half sensible, that was all bad stuff to me. That was, oh, bless him, how nice. Um, but it wasn't until he hit me one day that um, I realised that was enough. Ali told her teacher training tutor what had happened and she persuaded Ali to call Women's Aid which she did. They give you some questions to answer, so I answered the questions and they said, you know, how do you think you did? 
And I said, I think I've wasted your time. And they said, no, you got 13 out of 15. He's incredibly dangerous because he's so unpredictable. You know, with some men, it's obvious what they're going to do. And when it's going to happen with him, you just don't know, which was very true. And they offered my son and I, it was my youngest son and I, a place in a, a women's refuge which a little voice said, yes, please. And I realized that was my voice. And um, I left the next day to go into the refuge. And they had asked me to leave that day. But being the person I am, I said, uh, well, look, I'm studying and I'm writing assignments and all my stuff is at the house. So I plainly can't go until tomorrow. And they said to me, um, you know, this is the most dangerous time. If he finds out you're leaving, you need to be aware that a lot of women die because their partners find out that's what they're going to do and I'm not particularly religious but someone somewhere was looking out for me and he didn't come to bed until about quarter past four that morning so by the time I got up at half past six he was out for the count I managed to load my car. Connor remembers the night before they left. Uh, I remember literally my mum came into my room one time she had a look I'd never seen before and she looked at me and she was just like Connor we need to leave tonight I'm gonna wake you up early morning we're gonna get bare minimum things and we're just gonna go and I was like why and my mum was just like because I spoke to <clears throat> I, sp I spoke to people and they've said that he's incredibly dangerous and that we need to go as quickly as we can I was like okay we'll go and then we got all our stuff and we left as quickly as we could so yeah and how did you feel because <sighs> I was a bit older I think I was about 12 or 13 at that point I was, I was more aware of the situation but I still wasn't aware of the severity of it um, I was scared, but at the same time, I knew I needed to be as strong as I can, as quick as I can, and just, again, be there for my mum and help her cope through everything again. Ali got Connor into the car as quickly as she could and went back for her last suitcase. And I said to my son, if you see me running, it's because it's cold. Actually, it would have been because I was escaping. Um, but I luckily managed to do that. We got into the car, drove to the refuge, got in the refuge and when the door closed behind me it was the first time really I think I've ever felt safe which is ironic because it was a house full of women and my view of women was duplicitous manipulative stab you in the back um, never say anything nice never do anything nice versus men quite frankly you know you kind of know what it is they're after they're very black and white but it was women who saved me and I'm incredibly grateful to them all of the ladies in the house the support team and women's aid are just extraordinary so you may be wondering where Ali gets these strong views of women and men from. We will return to the refuge, but this is where we're going to spin back the years to the early 70s and some of Ali's memories from her childhood. I was abused by my grandfather. Um, I, from memory, was playing. We, my grandmother had a shed, which had a number of sheds in her garden, and I had taken a lot of my cuddly toys there, and so they used to, to, to be in the shed when I was there because we used to go to my grandmother's after school. Um, and he, he attacked me, basically. Um, he sexually assaulted me, and my grandmother walked in, and she saw what happened. She told him to go to his room, uh, so she sort of escorted him out of the shed and she said to me, I couldn't tell anyone. If you tell anyone, you'll be taken away. You won't ever see your mum or your dad or your brother again. And um, that was the way that, that she dealt with it. And because she was scared and frightened that perhaps I might tell someone, she then took me to the little corner shop and she bought me a doll. Um, which I can vividly remember, this plastic doll. It even had the little tags in between the fingers. It was a cheap and cheerful one with dark curly hair like mine and bits of glue in it. 
Um, and I refused to take the doll. And when my mother came to collect us, um, my grandmother said, oh, don't forget to take your doll with you. I threw the doll on the floor and my mother told me off. Um, I think perhaps even at that point I realised that this was plainly a payoff and I didn't want anything to do with that. Her grandmother wasn't quite finished with her yet. She caught my brother and I in the garden. She had a fish pond with lots of rocks around it and we were always told, don't go near it, it's dangerous. But as kids do, we were still, we were there. And I was peering into it and the next thing my head was under the water um, and I could hear my brother screaming and I wasn't quite sure what was going on and all of a sudden my head was back out of the water and my grandmother was, was standing next to me with her uh, arm wet up to her elbow and she said to me, I told you not to tell anyone. And I said, I haven't told anyone. And she said, well, you have. And I said, no, I haven't. She said, well, next time you won't be so lucky. Interestingly, these memories came out in hypnotherapy sessions. So I wanted to find out more from Ali as to what she thought about that. And so you mentioned um, that this came out in a sort of hypnotherapy session. Did you not remember it before that? or um, I didn't remember it. There were little things that were obvious. So there were sadly physical uh, elements that would show that, that, that something had happened. So I knew from, from that point of view. Um, and there were a number of other weird and wonderful things. So I was petrified of water for years and years and years and in fact my mother used to make a joke of the fact that I could only wash my face by using my index fingers if water went anywhere near my face I was so frightened. So Ali felt it made a lot of sense but couldn't be sure but then in her late 20s her mum's sister her aunt came to stay and I didn't really know her very well I met her a little bit then the family split up and then we met and then this family split up that was my family and she said to me Ali I need to tell you that you know what you have remembered is is true it did happen to you um, and similar things had happened to her and other people that she knew in the family so this was my grandmother's MO. Ali also told me a lot about her mum and the tricky relationship she sustained with her. My mum um <coughs> Until I was about seven or eight, my mum was lovely. I only have really quite positive memories of my mum. And one of them I remember is that she used to buy things from Avon. <laughs> and uh, so she would have her nails painted and she would paint mine. And, and so that was all, I remember all that was lovely. Um, but when she then met my stepfather, things changed a little bit. Um, and in fact, when they moved in together, she said, you know, you kids now need to know that he is the important person in my life and you aren't. And it really went downhill from there. I was interested that the relationship with her mum had apparently started off well and then shifted in this way. Was the mother being subservient to her partner? Or did her priorities genuinely change so dramatically? She would belittle me. She, hugging her was like hugging a twig, I used to say. There was not really any emotion and she used to sort of stand still or she might hug you, sort of flapping our hands around a little bit, kind of randomly. Um, but there never really felt as though there was any emotion there. She would make all of us go to bed at the same time. So I used to go to bed at, at, even at 15 or 16 at 7 o'clock in the evening. Um, there was no interaction as a family. I felt as though we were brought up in a family environment, but we were all brought up individually. Um, and she, I think, had identified me as the one who was so much like my dad. And I think that was a big reminder for her. And my brother and my sister looked very little like me and a lot more like her and my stepfather. So I think I was, I don't know, the cuckoo in the nest, maybe. Ali starts to imagine what it would be like to live with another family. 
Perhaps this is down to the trauma she'd experienced or just feeling very left out. And it was just very much this idea that, you know, no one really wants you here. Um, and, and that was quite hard, I think, to deal with. And I would see other people and I would hear other people's stories about their families and their mums. And I would think, I don't really have that in my house. I didn't, I didn't really understand what that was. I, I felt like an individual, like a lodger, I think, in my house. I think sometimes one sibling has a very different experience from her brothers and sisters in the same family setting. Certainly, this is how Ali felt. I know that there are people in my family who will say, but you were always so happy, so I don't understand, you know, and I know, also I know there are people in my family who point blank do not believe or agree with what I say. But um, for me, it was just continuously not feeling as though you were part of a family. And I, I didn't feel that. And I knew the kind of family that I wanted. And I'm sure we all have this rosy view of, oh, I want this kind of family and we'll all do this. My family didn't do that. You know, it was a very cold, unemotional way to grow up. Ali isn't cold or unemotional. So I can see how she wouldn't have fitted in. And so as soon as Ali could, she moved out from home and she was married by the time she was 19. Um, and I had my daughter at 20 and my son at 22. You know, I knew the few days before I married him, I knew it wasn't a good idea. And I did, in fact, speak to my mother and my stepfather about it and said, look, you know, I don't want to marry him. And my mother said, look, you're going to marry him and that's it. And she said to my stepfather, you make sure she gets down that aisle. Years later, when I talked to her about it, she said, oh, I just thought you were joking. And I said, but I don't understand why you would think someone was joking about I don't want to get married. So I very much felt forced down the aisle. And again, he's not a bad person. He just wasn't right for me. Not in any way, shape or form. We were the absolute opposite, really. But I think he was just sanctuary for me. I think it was, look, he's older, you know, maybe he'll look after me. Uh, and he didn't. Well, he did, but he didn't. And, you know, I think that's been a lot of my problem over the years that I've been looking for someone else to look after me, whilst making myself very unlook afterable if that is a word so you you had your you got pregnant kind of that was planned like yeah um ish yeah yeah I got pregnant the day I got married <laughs> how ironic is that <laughs> so my daughter was due exactly nine months to the day that we got married wow and um and so how was being a mum um I do you know what I don't I didn't know how to be a mum if I'm really honest. Um, so I just did what I thought you were supposed to do. I adored my kids, obviously, but I don't know that, again, you hear this, oh my word, you know, I had my children in this huge rush of emotion. I don't remember feeling any of that stuff, but that's not to say that I didn't care about my kids. I absolutely adored them, but I just did what I thought you were supposed to do. Whether I did it right, whether I didn't do it right, I don't know. It always reassures me when people say, there is no manual for being a parent. So whatever you've done is going to be okay. So that was fine. <laughs> it was after this that the relationship broke down. Yeah, it broke down. Uh, I went back to college. He lost his job. Um, there was a lot in the 80s. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, a lot of companies were making people redundant. He was one of those people. Uh, and I took the opportunity to go back to college. So I went and did an HND in business and finance management, um, which was great because, of course, I'd been told I was stupid and wasn't going to achieve very much because I'd failed everything anyway. So, you know, having that opportunity was brilliant. But what it did was it made me see that there was a whole world outside the world that I had and that I wasn't very happy um, and so my marriage broke down because I'm not proud of I had an affair with someone in college one of my lecturers um, which is frowned upon um, and it was stupid I shouldn't have done it I did it I put my hands up and it cost me my marriage Ali felt she had to leave her children with her ex well that was a really difficult decision he was very angry understandably when he found out what happened um, and uh, he said look you know you, you can't have the kids or I'll leave and uh, I'll never see you again. I'll never see them again. And the idea of them not being able to see their dad was, for me, was totally unconscionable. There was no way I could let that happen. So I thought, you know, the only way I'm going to make sure that they see their dad is if I leave, um, which was a big, horrible decision to make in your 20s. But at that point, my asthma was getting really bad. All of these things were starting to come out about when I was younger. And I honestly thought I was going mad. I honestly was convinced, so I thought, better that they stay with him. He's not perfect, but he's their dad, than they, I look after them or they come with me, and I'm going mad, so I don't want to turn them mad, so I'll leave them with him. And it was horrible, you know, putting my stuff in the car, driving away, and he made them stand at the window, so they cried. It was awful. It makes me emotional even thinking about it now. It was, you know, I don't do regrets. I'm not that person who says, oh, I wish I'd done this. That's the one thing that I think if I could go back and change, I would have done. I think this moment has really stayed with Ali all her life. Perhaps she has wondered about the far-reaching consequences of this decision. So the young son and daughter she has left with her first husband are Ben and the daughter who subsequently had an affair with her second husband. Now fast-forwarding by almost 20 years back to the women's refuge... Ali said she never expected to feel safe and relieved to be in an all-women environment. But the refuge turned out to be a really great place for her and her third child, Connor, who was about 12 at the time. So I was very lucky. And um, they put me at the top of the house to keep me safe in case he came knocking and found me. So, you know, I, I'm forever grateful to them. The, I think it was one of those moments where it really kind of flipped a switch with my mum, actually. She realised kind of the severity of the things that she'd gone through but also the severity of what other people go through. Um, and I think that's what's ultimately led her to where she is today and the work she does today. Um, but the thing she always tells me is the one place she always felt safe. 
And I think that's something I could agree with, that it was that kind of feeling where you go in and you know this is somewhere you're never going to kind of, you shouldn't ever feel scared because there's people there to make sure that you don't. And I remember that there was counsellors and other people that talked to me to make sure I was okay and kind of just really check on me and on my mum, which was a nice feeling to kind of feel that there is people around that really do care. But soon it was time for Ali to move on from the refuge. So how long did you stay there for? I stayed there for exactly a month. Um, and then I went into a, um, a secure, not a secure hostel, but a, a hostel where no one could come in just to make sure that I was uh, safe. And um, from there, um, I moved on to a little house and uh, everything started to get back to normal. During this time, Ali tried to get in touch with her daughter, who, as far as she knew, was still living with Ali's second husband and had been for five or six years now. I emailed her a few times. I have emailed her over the years um, and she's never replied. Uh, I emailed her, I think, two or three times on a particular account and then one day an email came back as bounce back, so she obviously had cancelled her account. Um, my youngest son, when I finally managed to, to try and get my divorce underway, which took me eight years because he refused to sign the paperwork, um, I got some kind of contact actually arranged between my youngest son and his sister. Um, and she wanted to arrange to meet up, which I was all ready to do. And then she said that his dad would be there and my son said he didn't want to see his dad. So that stopped. Um, so for 12 years now, pretty much. I've hardly seen her for the last 10 years. I haven't seen her apart from once when I saw her when she was pregnant with my granddaughter. Um, and I saw her for probably a handful of seconds. This is the first time that Ali has mentioned her daughter's pregnancy. And it's something we all do sometimes, just drop in a massive piece of news casually. I asked her to explain more. So I was in a shop in the town in which they live um, and I just kind of had that gut feeling that I was going to see them and I don't know why but I did and um, my youngest son had gone off to do something and I turned around and there they were and she had seen me um, and she sort of smiled and I know my daughter that was the nervous oh no I've been caught out smile and he was hiding pretty much um, which is testament I think to his level of bravery and uh, I grabbed my son because I knew he didn't want to see them. I escorted him out of the shop, stuck him in the car and said, I'm just going back in to the shop for a second. Went back in and they'd gone. But her daughter had clearly been pregnant. That was, I have to say, that was the thing that I always thought would be the worst thing. I couldn't imagine anything worse than that. And I used to kind of, not half joke, but half-heartedly joke, let's say, oh, you know, that the worst that could happen would be that. So when I found out that she was pregnant, you can imagine my whole world crashed um, because I was thinking how am I going to be able to to talk to my boys about this particularly my youngest son how much more complicated does this now make his life I asked Connor how he had felt when he realized that his half-sister had had a baby with his dad I didn't know how to react quite honestly I didn't know whether to see it as just some kind of joke that I was just being told this is just some kind of joke or whether to be angry or anything, honestly. I, I didn't know how to react. I mean, it's one of those situations where even now it still kind of baffles me, you know, how do I see this this baby that I have? Do I see it as my nephew or, or my niece, sorry, or do I see it as a sister? Or So obviously it's, it's, it's a really confusing situation and it's, I think it's still quite difficult to kind of wrap your head around, honestly. Despite the shock of the baby, Ali still really holds a candle for her daughter. I realised this more and more as I spoke to her. If I could turn the clock back, I absolutely would do. 
Um, but you just don't know what someone is is capable of. And I had, if trust me, if I had had any instinct that he was going to do what he did, then I absolutely would never have got involved with him in the first place. And, you know, when I met him, you have to remember, I'd been with him for 10 years. My daughter was six or seven. She wasn't 16. And if he'd wanted to find someone who had a 16 or 17-year-old, he could have gone and found someone who had a 16 or 17-year-old. He didn't do that. So um, I'm lucky that people haven't judged me as far as, well, certainly not to my face. They may well have done behind my back. But there have been a lot of comments about my daughter who have said, oh, my God, you know, how could you ever want her back in your family? And I said, because she's my daughter. The door is always open. So if she wants to come back, she can come back. I would have no problem with that. Um, and, you know, I think people find that quite hard to understand. And they'll say, but well, she did a terrible thing. No, she didn't do a terrible thing. He did. So, you know, I always hope. And I guess one day maybe she will come back. So you, I, I don't think I'd quite realised the sort of candle you're burning as it were for your daughter like that's a very sort of open wound still is it or yeah very much so yeah and you know I, I think it will always be the way until she's home so is it what what bite what eats away at you with that um well, it's just she's not home you know she needs to be here she's part of my family I've, I feel very strongly she isn't part of his family he made her part of his family she actually is part of mine so it's a piece missing from my life. Connor and his brother certainly have some reservations about their sister turning up. But Connor explains how he thinks his mum would react. She would welcome her back with open arms. I know, like, my mum would not even think about it because she misses my sister a lot. So I think, yeah, she wouldn't even consider it. She would just bring my sister back. And you don't think she would, like, there would be underlying anger there? Um... I think there'll be a lot of guilt rather than anger from both sides. I think my mum wishes she'd have acted differently and I think in my heart of hearts my sister feels the same, that if they'd done things differently that the situation would have been a lot better. So I think it's, rather than anger, I think it's a lot of guilt, which is what's still stopping the situation from kind of, from that even happening. So for now, Ali just has a photo of her daughter on her hall table that looks like her other family photos. Is this your daughter here? Well, that's my daughter, yes. And that's your granddaughter? Yes. Yeah, um, And how did you get that photo? Um, I found it online. So every so often I look for her and see if I can find her. And I think I found that on Twitter. Right. I think it was Twitter, yeah. Um, I feel a bit like a stalker. However, it's important to me that I know that she's OK. So that photo was evidence of that. Uh, so the photo, like, you obviously managed to make it like seem like the other photos as it were like does that make you feel like do you look at it quite often or um it's it's a reassuring presence as I walk past every morning and around and about in the day I've got another one in my bedroom of um of my little granddaughter alongside the one who you can probably hear in the background <laughs> um and have you been like looking for her recently or um I think the last time I looked was probably about six months ago so not really recently but yeah relatively so Everything that has happened with her daughter, I know has really fed into Ali's work. She has set up and runs the Juno Project, where she works with young women 
to build their confidence and employability skills and a future that many of them don't believe they have. I think she doesn't ever want any other family to end up with what she's gone through. And I think as well that's what makes her a lot more relatable for a lot of these younger girls and even some of the women. Uh, is that she kind of has this understanding and she's kind of, she's been there from a different perspective. So I'm interested to find out what Ali thinks about her relationships with men. I definitely subscribe to the view that you uh, tend to stick with what you know and what you understand. Uh, you know, bad boys, in inverted commas, in whatever form they may be bad, make me feel very safe because I understand them. I know what to expect, I know what's going to happen, I know how it's going to play out, and that's fine because I get it. People good boys. Um, I don't get them. And for a, a, for years, I missed out on potential relationships with really, really nice men, really nice, safe, kind people, um, because they frightened the hell out of me. I don't know what they want. Why do they want to be nice to me? Because most people, if they're nice to me, want something. So if they aren't being nice to me because they want something, then why are they being nice to me? because, you know, that, that's not what happens. And that reflects, I think, a lot on my own self-esteem and my own view of what I'm worth and my, my value to myself, which was I wasn't worth anything. Um, it's taken me a long time to understand that quirk uh, in my personality. Um, I've worked quite hard on it. I like to think I've finally got the handle on it and it's being able to identify them and just not letting them have that control and that power over your life. And I think finally I may have, have managed to do that. And now Ali has a new problem with meeting a potential partner. At what point do you actually let someone see that this glossy on the outside, confident, smiley person actually is, oh my God, not just an episode of Jeremy Kyle, but an entire series of Jeremy Kyle. You know, at what point do you start telling those stories? Thank you to Ali and Connor for talking to us. This is our final backstory for season two. But don't forget to join us for Back Chat this Friday when Claire and I will discuss the many questions arising from this episode. And keep us in your library because season three is going to be coming very soon. We are the Backstory Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at the Backstory Pod on Twitter. Or you can get in touch through our website, thebackstorypodcast.co.uk, where you can find out more about us and get links to all our previous episodes. If you've enjoyed this one, please help us to grow our listenership by sharing on social media, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. See you on Friday. Thanks again to our sponsor, James, from 16 Degrees Coaching. Don't let your backstory define your future. Email him, james at 16degreescoaching.co.uk. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.